In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. But it didn't stay good. Adam and Eve traded perfect fellowship with God in exchange for a false promise, and in doing so, they tore down the good garden. Humanity continued to trade good for bad, brother for blood, birthright for a bowl of stew, and yet, as humanity descended, God was still working. In the ashes of a torn down garden, in a broken family, the Lord was planting the seeds of redemption. Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be with you once again uh, to worship our Heavenly Father. Uh, my name is Matt Sawada, one of the pastors here on staff, the privilege of, of serving LEFC in that capacity, and it truly is an honor to open God's word with you once again. This morning, we're gonna be in the book of Genesis. We've been in Genesis for a couple months now, and we're gonna tag quite a bit of landscape as we do some quick flybys through 31 through 35, so you will need a Bible. So if you didn't bring one today, I've got some friends either coming down or going up. I just raise your hand. They'd love to, to pass you that Bible. Again, if you'd like to, to meet me there, turn to Genesis 35. We'll be there in just a moment. As I mentioned <clears throat> just a minute ago, excuse me, we have been in this sermon series uh, on Genesis. We've titled it Origins. Origins. You see it on your bulletin. You see it on the slides. And one of the, the things that I've really been blessed by as we've stepped through this series is the realization that the same God, the same God who gave us Jesus as our mediator is the same God who created all things in the beginning and he's the same God who's gonna redeem things in the end, right? It's the same God who was and is and is to come, this God of Genesis, the God of our origins, but also the God of completion, our God of redemption. And that, that message has just been resonating in my heart as we've stepped through chapter by chapter the book of Genesis. And so this morning, as we take a dive into Genesis chapter 35, and actually the context around it, we're gonna see Jacob's redemption story in the form of several full circle moments. Full circle moments. When I say full circle moments, this is what, this is what I mean. You've probably experienced some of these in your life. A full circle moment could be relational redemption, right? Where you... A relationship might have been broken, there might have been tension, something might have happened, and you come full circle back around, back into relationship with this person. A full circle moment could be uh, a truth that you, you read in the morning, or you listen to a podcast, I walk my dog and listen to podcasts, or I listen to an audio Bible, and it never fails that something that I hear is applicable in a conversation later that day. Or, better yet, it's applicable for me to cling to later that day. It's almost like God knows the truth that I needed to hear in the morning to bring me full circle in the afternoon. 
A full circle moment could be geographical. We're gonna see this in this text this morning, but for whatever reason, you either grew up in this space or you traveled to this space or you lived in this space, and then God brings you full circle back either to that place or there's a reason why you lived there. I grew up outside of DC. It was incredibly multicultural. I was a minority in my high school. And little did I know, the guy who loved his meat and potatoes would be in Asia six times over the next 20 years after graduation. And then, little did I know, I'd be on staff at a church whose strategic focus is Southeast Asia. Full circle moments. Full circle moments. You know, a full circle moment might be contextual. It might be a a sin that you struggled with and have worked through or a skill that you've learned over the the years. You got no idea why I'm interested in this or why I've learned that until you're in relationship with someone who either needs help working through that sin or they need mentoring in that skill. Most importantly, full circle moments happen spiritually when our God of Genesis, our full circle God, brings us back around from death to life. See, our God is a God of redemption. Our God of Genesis is a God of full circle moments. And he is a God who redeems He is a God in the business of redemption. And this morning, we're gonna see how God redeems Jacob's experiences through several of these full circle moments. Have you ever had a full circle moment? As I describe some of these examples, is there one coming to the forefront of your mind? Maybe there are several. These moments could be big, they they could be small. These moments could take days, they could take years. These full circle moments, I believe, truly are a gift and they're a glimpse into the, the redemptive nature of our God for his glory. Uh, Our staff experienced the full circle moment this Wednesday. It was a cool moment. Uh, every Wednesday we have some, storm, some sort of staff meeting and this week was an all staff meeting. We meet right here, our staff sits in these first few rows. And uh, this last Wednesday we had a young man named Daniel Spangler step up to share his story. And as Daniel began, he, he began talking about, you see Daniel uh, has been at LEFC for a long, long, long time. His parents have been at LEFC a long time. As an eighth grader, Ken Martin asked Daniel Spangler for some help. See, Ken saw Daniel, he was always around after a service and said, Daniel, will you help me clear the stage? Old sanctuary, clear that stage after worship. Daniel's like, sure, I'd love to help. Over the next couple weeks, months, years, Ken then trains Daniel on how to do sound. Here's a picture of what that looks like. This is Daniel as a high schooler. This is Ken, not as a high schooler, (laughs) but a little younger than he is now. You see, Ken trains Daniel on how to use that soundboard. 
As a junior, Daniel begins to realize, this is what I wanna do with my life. So what began with a small, will you help me serve, gave a young man direction. Daniel ends up graduating high school and going to college in Michigan and ends up getting a degree in audio production, steps on staff in Michigan at, on a church staff doing worship tech as an audio producer. This, the beginning of this month, LEFC has now hired Daniel as our audio, let's see, I'm get it right, he's our technical arts supervisor here at LEFC. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It was a beautiful full circle moment. We had to on Friday come in and take, we kind of reenacted the picture on a different soundboard, right? Ken looks just as young. <laughs> but what a beautiful full circle moment where Ken asks someone to serve with him and we've seen Daniel go full circle. And now Ken is, is beginning to, to train a young man in his role. Do you have a full circle moment that you're thinking of? You know, uh, scripture, we see a ton of them. Uh, Saul, Paul, the apostle Paul, right? He was persecuting these Christian leaders. And then after that, he goes on his own full circle journey, comes back around to become one of the Christian leaders that he actually was stoning. You see, Joseph, we're gonna get to him in a couple weeks here. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Full circle moment, all the way back around. Number two in Egypt to the Pharaoh, and he's actually serving and loving his brothers who sold him into slavery so he could work in Egypt. Full circle moment. He can't leave out Jesus, right? It's a Sunday morning, you gotta mention Jesus. Jesus, full circle moment. Here's God's son. He's sitting at the right hand of the father, is born a human to die for humanity so that he can sit back at the right hand of God as our mediator. Praise the Lord for that full circle moment. Now let me step back. I'm gonna zoom out a second. Full circle moment. God creates all things in Genesis 1. We see sin enter the picture in Genesis 3 so that all the rest of those books, 66 books later in Revelation, what happens? Full circle moment. We've got new heavens and new earth. You see, scripture is packed with them and I believe our lives are too. And this morning, as we look at Jacob, we're gonna see three full circle moments in his life. And my hope is that we will worship our God who is a God who specializes in full circle moments a little bit clearer this morning. So a little bit of context before we jump into today's text. Uh, we've been in the book of Genesis. I've stated that a few times already. And, and in Genesis, the first 11 chapters are unique, right? They're setting up these, these pillars, these themes that play out for the next 65 books. But Genesis 12 begins a narrative of a family line, right? These men we call patriarchs. Right? They're, our, they're like our faith fathers in a way. We see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And over these 38 chapters at the end of Genesis, it really is playing out the, the trajectory of their lives. 
grandfather, father, and grandson, as Tom mentioned them last week. And today we're looking at Jacob, right? The, the grandson. He's got a twin named Esau. Uh, Jacob ends up fleeing. He deceives his father Isaac and stole his brother's blessing, causing him to flee. He's afraid of Esau because of the lies that he's told. So he flees all the way to Padan Aram. If you look in a map, that's quite a ways away. He moves to Padan Aram to, to serve Laban and eventually marries two of his daughters, Leah and Rachel. And while he's there, we're, we're gonna begin to see these full circle moments happen time and time again. But what we've seen over these last few weeks is these ups and downs, these left and rights, the highs and the lows that Jacob experiences. One thing I love about Jacob, he's very human. He's very inconsistent, just like you and just like me. We get a real good glimpse of humanity in the life of Jacob. So buckle up. We're gonna fly pretty fast here through chapters 31, 32, 33, and 34, and then we're gonna lean in to chapter 35 and really begin to dial into some of these moments in Jacob's life. So Genesis chapter 31, let me take a drink, catch my breath, here we go. In 31 verse three, what you see is Jacob hears from God. Jacob hears from God, the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob receives some instruction from God. I want you to come home, bud. I want you to come home. And so this, the rest of these, these next couple of verses are spent, Jacob's putting his affairs in order his herds, he's starting to figure out what sheep, what, who's gonna come with them and how's this gonna play out. He talks to his wives and prepares them to leave as well. And you see in verse 17 of chapter 31, Jacob put his children and his wives on camels and drove all his livestock ahead of him along with the goods he'd accumulated in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Well, before they left, Rachel, his wife, his favorite wife, sneaks in and steals her father's household good, gods. Not just the goods, steals his gods. But what we see here is Jacob did not leave above board. Not only did she steal his gods, Jacob, in verse 20, deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was running away. So Jacob bounces without letting Laban know he's going. More deception in the life of Jacob. Well, Laban catches up with Jacob. He makes peace. They drop a pillar in the ground and basically say, I'm gonna go this way, you go that way. We're gonna agree to disagree and we're all good. So Jacob continues and now he's on a fast track journey to confront, to meet Esau. And in chapter two, we see chapter 31 begins with a God moment. Chapter 32 does as well. Angels show up. And he has another one of those aha moments, right? Basically saying, this is the camp of God. So Jacob's preparing to meet Esau, and he's afraid. 
You see in verse seven, chapter 32, verse seven, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. And I hope I'm on the winning team in that division, right? <laughs> he's, he's, this is a self-protective moment. He's trying to create some insulation between him and Esau because he's assuming Esau's coming in hot. He's assuming Esau is coming in angry and Jacob's afraid. There is fear and distress in the midst of it. And so he's scattered his people so that that evening he spends alone. That's the evening we heard last week, uh, Tom Daly preached. That's when Jacob wrestled God, receives this blessing, receives this name change from Jacob to Israel. Basically saying, you not just have a new name, but you have a new nature. This is a reminder of my presence, of my imminence, that I am with you. Well, then chapter 33 kicks off with more fear. You would think that a, a reassurance from God in the form of a wrestling match would be helpful, but no, Jacob is afraid to face Esau. And he looks up and sees 400 men coming at him. And now he's worried. He's like, oh, what's this? It's about to go down. I've just wrestled God. Do I need to fight Esau too? Right, you can imagine the thoughts flowing through his mind. But in verse four, the opposite happens. Esau ran to meet Jacob. He embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Here's the first full circle moment in the life of Jacob. Relational reconciliation. In chapter 28, you see Jacob run away from Esau. After 20 years in Padanaram, you see Esau run to Jacob. One ran away in fear, the other ran towards him in joy. Full circle, full circle. Well, Esau, now they're, now they're boys, right? They're, they're talking. Esau's like, I'm gonna accompany you. Jacob says, no thanks. Esau's saying, come with me to Sair, all the way south of Padan Aram. I'll meet you there. I'll even leave some guys with you. Jacob says, no thanks. I'll, I'll meet you here. Go ahead. We're gonna go slow. We'll, we'll make it there. Jacob deceives him again. And instead of going south down into uh, Sair, into Edom, uh, Jacob takes a turn and heads west and ends up in Succoth, close to Shechem. So Jacob deceives again and breaks a promise. So what have we seen in these couple chapters? We've seen the humanity of Jacob, his inconsistency. We've seen his fear, his disobedience. We've seen a, a preservation of self. This is called self-worship. He's worried about himself. Me, myself, and I, Jacob. You see Jacob deceive both Laban and Esau, and then you even see Rachel steal gods. This family's a mess. Capital M, mess. But what you also see, what you also see is God's consistent reminder of his goodness. You see him say, even though you're a mess, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with, I'm with you. 
And so chapter 34, things get messier. You see, because Jacob took that left-hand turn, he headed west, he landed outside of Shechem. Unfortunately, chapter 34 is a minor version of Sodom and Gomorrah. Things get ugly. And Jacob's decision to camp there wrecks havoc in his family. So you see his daughter, verse one, Dinah, the daughter, Leah, had had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land, and when Shechem, son of Hemor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. Things get ugly. Things get even worse beyond that because they, Shechem goes to his dad and says, hey, get this girl as my wife. When Jacob hears that she'd been defiled, he did nothing about it. Jacob responds with apathy. And what, what you see in contrast to his lack of response, his sons had in spades. His, his sons had all the emotion. If you look in the next, next couple of verses, they were shocked and they were furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing. And so what, what begins to happen is the, the sons steal a page from Jacob's book and they deceive these men. They talk them into getting circumcised, having an operation. And three days after that operation, Simeon and Levi come in with swords and kill them all. Chapter 34 is a disaster. What you see, they don't even just do that. In verse 27, the sons of, the sons of Jacob loot everything. 29, they carry off and plunder it all. And how does Jacob respond? He shifts the blame because he's afraid. How could you do this, guys? What are other people gonna now do to us? He's not worried about holiness, he's worried about himself. There is a cloud of lament looming over this family. And again, it makes you think, if he would have obeyed, rather than taking a left-hand turn to go to Shechem, if he would have gone back to his father, chapter 34 possibly wouldn't have happened. Thankfully, despite Jacob's inconsistent behavior, God's consistent covenant love prevails. Amen? So while Jacob gets all the press in this, he's kind of like the main character uh, that, that you're, you're reading, you're seeing his name time and time and time again. The truth is that God's the main character whose consistent care and presence pops off the page. It's not about Jacob, it's actually about our God and how he loves Jacob in the midst of his inconsistencies. So chapter 35, verse one. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Verse one is kind of a kick in the pants for Jacob. This is a reproof. This is a, this is a hey Jacob, it's, it's, come on, let's go. And Jacob's conscience is stirred. 
This is a reminder of what happened in Genesis 28 when God blessed him at Bethel. This is a reminder of chapter 31 when God said, I want you to go back to where your father lives. This is a reminder of the wrestling match in chapter 32. This is a reminder that God has been with him throughout all of this. You see, God was redeeming his covenant with Jacob, not because of his behavior, but in spite of it. God was redeeming his covenant with Jacob because of his consistency, not because of Jacob's consistency. We have a full circle God, friends. A full circle God. It's this God who names Jacob Israel, who realizes I'm in for the long haul. Because you've seen Israel's road of sanctification, of being made holy. You just turn a couple more pages in your Old Testament and you begin to see the mess that Israel creates. But God's consistency despite their character. They've got high highs and low lows. They've got joyful moments and then moments of sin. They have moments of obedience and moments of extreme disobedience. There are consequences for actions, but God consistently reminds his people and us that he is with us and desires us to return to him. God and his kindness is consistent. So how does Jacob respond to this reproof? Verse two of chapter 35. Uh, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves, change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob finally becomes self-aware, not only to his inconsistent behavior, but to God's consistent love. That last phrase, God has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob gets it. What a game-changing reality. I would imagine Jacob was very aware of these idols. God didn't ask him to get rid of the idols in his family, but he finally stood up and did something about them. You see, unconfronted idolatry grows, doesn't it? Unconfronted idolatry is a slippery slope when we allow these idols, this divided worship to remain hidden in our lives. See, an idol is something that we prioritize or worship before God. Divided worship. It's when we we think about, this is God plus this, or we substitute God for this. What began as an idol stolen by Rachel is now something the whole family struggles with. Ladies, WBF, you've done your homework. This week, you're looking at the second commandment. Deuteronomy 5. You're, you're, you're seeing that you shall not make for yourself an image of anything in heaven or on earth, that you shall not bow down to these idols and worship them. And as you see how that compares to other commandments, I want you to, I want you to think back to Jacob in chapter 35. 
What idols or foreign gods, friends, are present in your life today? What, what idol in your life is, is something that you need to just get rid of? Verse two, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, friends. It's time to clean house. Pursue purity. Change your clothes. Live differently. You see, our idols don't come. We're gonna see in verse four, they don't look like earrings these days. Our idols come in the form of currency. Our idols come in the form of materialism. Our image becomes really important to those around us. Our idols come in the form of a concept of approval of man or comfort or control found in in something that that can't meet these needs. See, all of these idol examples, I could keep going. All of these are essentially encouraging self-worship. It's called pride. When we put ourselves above God, this is something every one of us has. It's a problem. It's called a humanity. The kicker, though, is we can't run towards the Lord and cling to an idol at the same time. But thankfully, God is a God of redemption. We have a redemptive God who's in the full circle business who would love nothing more than to free you from your idolatry today. So this is what God does. So I want your, I want your heart. Second God moment, full circle moment here. You see Jacob, uh, so often throughout 31, 32, 3, and 4, there was fear and deceit and fleeing. And now what do you see? Confidence and honesty and testimony. He's testifying to God's goodness in his life. Full circle. God is beginning to redeem Jacob, once again. You see, friends, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it tells us that it's God's will that you should be sanctified. This word sanctified, sanctification, it's a process of being made holy. God's will for us is this. He desires for us to be made holy. He desires for us to be sanctified. And Jacob's long, winding road of sanctification probably runs parallel to ours. So we see Jacob's response in verses two and three. In the next couple of verses, let's see how his family responds. So they, his family, gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears. And Jacob buried them under the Shechem, under the oak at Shechem. Say that fast too many times. Under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, Bethel, in the land of Canaan. And there he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him 
when he was fleeing from his brother. Full circle moment. God brings Jacob back to Bethel. What we see begun in chapter 28 when he's fleeing Laban, he lays his head down on a stone, has a dream of that ladder. That is what he then called Bethel. God in this text brings Jacob and his family back to that same place. And what we see here are two bookend moments in the life of Jacob. You see, his day of distress is now a day of worship. You see, obedience to God goes hand in hand with renewed worship to God. So this picture of the consistent loving kindness of our Father who redeems is not because of our behavior, but in spite of it. Sanctification, which is God's will for us, 1 Thessalonians 4, this process of being made holy is an active step that we need to take to, to try to rid ourselves of this idolatry that we've been carrying around in the entanglements of our sin. I believe it begins with a stirring of the spirit. This isn't something that you can buckle up and try harder to be better. That's not how sanctification works. It's a spirit-led process. And in Galatians 5, we can walk according to our spiritual nature rather than our sinful one. And as we begin to, to walk according to his nature, we begin to root out these idols and like his family, bury them. Right, Colossians 3, let's put these things to death. Let's remove the lies and begin replacing them with truth. I don't think we're meant to do this alone. I think in James 4, we see that we are encouraged to confess our sins with one another so that they can pray for us so that healing can happen. That's a Matt Swatter version. I just abused the, the way that goes. Confession, prayer, healing. That doesn't happen without the one another in the conversation. So these full circle moments, there are many of these things happening in our lives, some of them small, some of them large, but no matter how you paint this picture, God wants to redeem them. He's a full circle God who wants to bring us back to him time and time and time again. Let me just read you a couple verses from Ephesians that paint this full circle picture beautifully. This is Ephesians chapter two. And as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were objects of wrath. But God. Yes. But God. Yes. 
But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace that you've been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the uncomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Full circle. Death to life, death to life. And that is only through Jesus Christ. Friends, Jacob uses his testimony in verse three of chapter 35 to bring his family back to the Lord. Would you consider using your testimony to be a part of someone else's full circle moment? Would you consider being a part of someone else's redemption story by introducing them to the greatest blessing there is in the person of Jesus Christ? We get to do that. Would you be willing to take that step and engage in those conversations? As we wrap up, two last thoughts. First thought, this long winding road of sanctification right? It's called life. It's not a straight line. My question for you is, what's your next step? I I don't, not asking you, uh, what do you need to do here at church? There are certainly things that we need volunteers for, and if you feel led, volunteer. I'm not talking about activity in this. What I'm asking you is, what's your next step? What would it look like to grow in your relationship with your savior and creator? That that often doesn't come with a a role to to serve in. It becomes, it's a a relational step. As Tom Daly said last week, it was often in the times alone in which God has actually spoken, moved in his life. Maybe you need to begin there. Maybe there's some idols in your life that need to get smashed, that need to get buried. Maybe there's some things that you need to put to death today. What would it look like to lay those down? Now friends, I don't know about you, but in my life, I have to do this several times, daily, often, weekly, monthly, and it could be the same sins. And that's okay. Friends, I would encourage you to, to then do it again. And then kill that thing again. And then do it again. Don't allow that idol to get stuck to you and become so comfortable with it that like Jacob's family, it's just part of who you are because it doesn't have to be. See, this long winding road of sanctification beautifully represents you and me and humanity. And I think if the spirit is nudging, don't ignore it. Identify and remove the lie and replace it with something beautiful and perfect. Replace it with truth. Replace it with Jesus. Confess to one another so that they can be praying for you, 
so that you can receive healing. Oftentimes, shattering that idol is verbalizing it to someone else. Talk about it, there's no shame. Secondly, and I love this truth, and this is one that I've been clinging to this week, God is not the one who wavers or shifts. God is not the one who's got a long, windy road. God in his character and presence is as consistent as consistent can be. And friends, he's the one pursuing you. He's the one loving you. Cling to his consistency and character today. Let me just toss a few more verses out at you. This is the character of our God. Because our God is the one who forgives all your sins and who heals all your diseases. Our God is the one who redeems your life from the pit and who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Our God is the one who satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. For our God works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And he's made known to us his ways. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Friends, Psalm 103, verse eight, the Lord our God is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Our God is the one who will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And friends, for as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his transgressions from this is the God who loves you. This is the God who's pursuing you today. Don't choose the lesser idol when you have the God, the consistent covenant love of God who wants a relationship with you. You know, we're about to sing. We often sing in response to messages like this. And this morning, we're, the, the song that we've, we're gonna step into is titled Christ Be Magnified. And there's a bridge in this song that goes, I'm gonna just read this, I'm not gonna sing it, you can thank the Lord later for that. <laughs> but he, this bridge goes like this, it says, I won't bow to idols, I'll stand strong and worship you, and if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I think this that little tag summarizes Genesis 35 beautifully. We don't have to cling to these idols. And if, by if not clinging to them, it's gonna take me through something difficult. I'm gonna be okay because of God's imminence, his presence, because he is there with us. And then it's gonna, we're gonna go on and sing this. It says, I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. See, Jacob held really tightly to his feelings. It was his fear and his, his, his worry really controlled him. He was, it was clinging to those emotions rather than to truth. Friends, 
Let go of those feelings and hold fast to what is true. Because if the cross brings transformation, then we get to be crucified with you, Father. Would you please stand and sing the song with us? Join you when you rise And when 
Amen. What a prayer, right? That God would be magnified in us today. I would encourage you today, friends, as we're pursuing and clinging to these idols, Christ can still be magnified in us, and I believe he works outside of us. But that magnifying glass can get a little clearer if we clean up some of these things. If the Spirit's nudging today, I would encourage you to talk to someone. Come find me. Got friends back in the encounter room. To my left, your right. We would love to talk, pray, process through this with you. Or better yet, you, you possibly came with someone. Talk to them. Someone sitting next to you. Doesn't have to be one of us with a badge. Many of us in this room would love to interact with you today. And so if we can be praying for you or supporting you, also if you'd like to fill out your card and your bulletins, our staff prays through those every day of the week and would love to, again, support you in that capacity. Let me end just by encouraging you from the end of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do as well, working in us that which is pleasing Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great day. Go in peace.